Hey everybody, welcome back to Green Walking Lane's newest Patreon episode. I am thrilled to be joined by my friend, the talented and wonderful Ariana Mar. How are you, Ariana? Uh, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on here. <laughs> I am so happy to have you. I will invite you back again and again. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, It's so nice to see your face. I was going to, uh, I shared this on the, on our Cerebra recording, I think, but I was going to go to Seattle for Emerald Con and we were going to have dinner, but then I ended up in New York instead. But Honestly, that was that was a better option. It This year's Emerald City was kind of dead because the entire queer section of Artist Alley was like almost not there. <laughs> Interesting. I went to FlameCon that weekend. That's true. FlameCon, uh, I, I used to do the circuit as the professional back when I was closeted and going to an out queer con as an out queer person was just a completely different experience. It was really lovely. I really, really want to go. I really want to go. I hope I can go next year because so, it's just really cool. <laughs> it, it was really lovely. It's small. It's a couple thousand people, but it was, we had a great time. I, I, it's one that I would go back to again and again. It's super affordable, really lovely. So uh, Ariana has been on the show a couple of times. Uh, uh, she is an incredible letterer who is just churning out content constantly. Her name is everywhere. Uh, <laughs> tell people a little bit about your connection to the X-Men line. Um, well, I grew up reading X-Men since Uncanny X-Men 303, The Death death of Ileana Rasputin, and I kept up with it until the late 90s because we had moved to Japan in 96, and on base, it was really difficult to get regular issues. You could only just find what you can find on the racks, and that was it. So I did my best to pick up X-Men whenever I saw it. Um... And then um, for a while there, I was focused on my studies in Japanese and in, in, um, getting my degree in that. But eventually I came back to reading Western comics and got hooked on X-Men again. And um, when I got in, into lettering, I always thought sometimes people would say, oh, maybe one day you'll get to work uh, on Marvel books or something. And I was like, that's never going to happen because <laughs> there's a dedicated studio for that. And then 2020, I I got a job with that studio. So now I've been lettering um, a fair share of X-Men books, which is like my favorite thing. Uh, right now, I'm working on Marauders, X-Men Red, and what else am I working on? Oh, dang it. <laughs> There's my brain. Your name is in, your name is in a lot of books, and it has been for years, and a lot of X Men books at this point. Uh, Ariana's been on the show when we did the history of Cerebro. Uh, your first time on the show is when we covered Spider Man and Factor Three, which was always a blast. When I'm doing these Patreon episodes, one of my favorite things is I'll, I'll pitch a couple character ideas. The criteria being, let's do either an obscure villain or kind of a supporting character. And mm -hmm. it's really funny to see where we land. It's never where I expect. And then I get mm -hmm. to do this lovely research into characters I've never given much thought to. Yeah. Uh, so you and I came up with doing the demonic race of the first thing we've got to decide is how are we pronouncing these demons names? In my mind, it's the Ungarai. How do you say it? Ungarai, um, I think. Ungarai. I'm gonna... <laughs> That's the best I could think of. But Garai sounds better. Ungarai is kind of how, or Nugarai, which that's, that's if you say it wrong, it's dangerously close to the N-word, which is not so Which is an actual joke in one of the issues, actually. 
I was like, wow, she said that. Okay. <laughs> what made you interested in researching these characters of all the, of all that we could have chosen? Well, from all the ones you proposed, I was thinking about it. And um, one issue of X-Men I had never read, but always heard was like a really iconic one. And this was like a, a good excuse for me to go back and read it was uh, Uncanny X-Men 143. Yes, Kitty like, versus the Demon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like it was an epic one. And um, and so it was like, this is a good excuse for me to just sit down and read this. And it's like, actually, there's a whole history of a lot of storylines with, with the Angari. And it's just like, OK, that's a lot of homework. <laughs> But uh, it was worth it. It was it was interesting to read through. Um, often I don't get a chance to read as many comics as I want to. Any comics I read is is the books I'm working on for the most part because I'm just churning through and churning through. Yeah, yeah. And I, so like I don't get to just sit and enjoy. <laughs> I love taking a character over time. We see these characters reinterpreted over decades by different artists and authors. And it's really interesting to try to put the whole chronology together. Uh, something I've learned as I've done some of this research is Chris Claremont did a lot of non-X-Men work back at the beginning. And he mm -hmm. had a habit of taking the characters he was using in other titles and then bringing them into X-Men and then using them again and again over the years. Uh, so let me jump in. One of Chris Claremont's first piece, uh, first works in Marvel was in a book called Haunt of Horror in a mm -hmm. prose story. And so it's all print. Uh, and he tells a story about Satana. There's a guy named Jimmy Cruz who is a Satan worshiper. And he has started channeling a demon race called the Ungarai. They're never seen uh, through his, some of uh, his human servants. So there's like a little cult called the Camarilla. Uh, he tries summoning them and she kills him. Satana kills this cruise guy. And then that's kind of it. They, they're they kind of behind the scenes in this story, but they seem a little bit scary. It seems to be channeling uh, some of this idea of like elder gods. It's like very Chiton. Uh, like there's these races that existed anciently on the earth. And these seem to be their demonic servants. And then the first time we see them in an X-Men book, it's pretty early on in Claremont's run. It's in X-Men 96 in uh, 1975, where this is where they get famous. You, on the cover, you get this massive one-eyed, like horned demon, huge claws, like bursting through the wall to fight the newly formed X-Men. Uh, the, the book is called, uh, it's the Night of the Demon. Uh, Cyclops is grieving Thunderbird who has just died in the plane crash. And he walks by this mysterious cairn. And the word cairn means like a mound of stones built as a memorial or a landmark. And we see this used again and again. There's these cairns that are on the X-Men property and other places around the world are what the Ungarai can pass through to access the mortal world. And we're going to learn, we'll talk about this in a minute, but they used to have this connection to Earth. It's, it's, uh, it's alluded to that these demons used to rule the Earth hundreds or millions of years ago, and then they've been banished into their dimension they now want to return. And their leader is this guy named Kirok, K-I-E-R-R-O-K. Uh, you get to read X-Men 96. Tell us a little bit about what happens. What do you, what do you like about this story? Uh, I One thing that immediately made an impression on me was that when I saw the Cairn, it was actually like this monolith with a lot of ancient writing on it. Uh -huh. And I recognized it from Anthony Oliveira's uh, short story in Marvel Voices. Yes. Like, I was really excited to see that connection there because I think he had mentioned something about it in his scripts. And I was like, I don't 
know this issue. I don't know what it's about, but it's cool that there's this weird monolith thing in the background. And so it was couple, in the background of the story there. Yeah, so a couple of years ago, Anthony Oliveira told the infamous story of teenage Iceman kind of coming out as gay to Magneto on the school property early in the X-Men days. It's, it's a wonderful read, but Anthony Oliveira is someone who does his homework. So he has this setting, this conversation between Iceman and Magneto sitting in front of this cairn, which would have been its first established appearance continuity-wise. Uh, which is interesting. Yeah, it's interesting because it's just establishing, it's like, yeah, there's just this monolith that is there on Professor X's property, and it's just there. I guess just the family knew about it. No one really did anything about it. It was just there. <laughs> I, I kind of get the idea that the cairn will disappear and reappear. It has uh, it has times when it shows up, and when it's there, it's always a bad thing. Uh, mm -hmm. there's, there's probably something that's going to happen Sometimes like the dimensional barriers seem to be weaker and the demons can pass through. Other times it requires a spell or like a blood sacrifice. But yeah, it kind of shows up sporadically. They think it's destroyed, then it'll return. Yeah. Uh, like there's another one on- Blow it up and then yeah. it just comes back sometime later. There's another one on Magneto's Island in the Bermuda Triangle. And sometimes they'll show up in other spots. It's kind of an interesting, an interesting thing. A Kirok is this giant red massive monster, three times bigger than a human. He's got huge claws. One of the first things he says in this story is, I am Kirok, little animal. Kirok, the shatterer of souls. Kirok, the slayer of men. Kirok, the damned. And I have come for you this night, humans, for your lives and for your souls. It's a it's a surprising threat for the X-Men who are normally fighting uh, evil mutants and you know, anti-mutants, and here's a sudden this giant demon that just doesn't care that they're mutants. It just wants to eat them. <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a huge swerve, but it was interesting because this is coming right off after Thunderbird dies, and with like, uh, with Count Nefaria and the Animen. <laughs> yes, yes, and so it's like kind of this somewhat sci-fi thing with a really grim ending, and then it goes off into like mysticism and magic and it's all because cyclops decides to let loose for once and just burn a section of the forest with his beams and it destroys it and i guess that just cracks the seal open but i thought it was interesting because it was pretty much saying this is why cyclops is so tightly wound is because if he ever does let loose bad things happen right and this has happened before, uh, famously in the, well, not fam famously, in the 60s when he unleashes his powers, it releases the super adaptoid in the 60s books. We covered that on <laughs> iPod with Tristan Palmgren, the super adaptoids hanging out in a cave on the X-Men property and Cyclops blasts it. And he's like, I will attack you now. It's, it's, <laughs> it's the same thing. Uh, so Kirok identifies himself as a child of the Ungarai, a child of the elder gods who once ruled the earth. He says he's their, the human's master. They can never defeat him. Uh, obviously he gets defeated lots of times uh, at the end of this issue Wolverine has weakened him Xavier tries to uh, take over his mind but he gets kind of mm -hmm. lost in the savagery and then Storm ends up defeating him by smashing the Karen with lightning the little demons are coming out it tries to draw her in and she's able to stop it so the the Karen yeah. kind of fades out of existence did you enjoy this read was it a fun battle for you I, I did enjoy this read it really set up a lot of stuff like I know the characters so well um, after reading them and watching the cartoons and just knowing X-Men for so many years, but getting to see, um, you know, that kind of period in the X-Men's lives is like just as they're getting established. Like Storm is young here. She's yeah. inexperienced. She's basically a Kitty Pride starting out kind of thing. She's getting used to her powers and abilities and she's getting one of her first experiences of 
um, herself being put in like genuine danger because that's when you see her claustrophobia um, just set her off by her getting swarmed by the demons and then it just overwhelming her. It's like, oh, she is a person with layers of character that you really want to follow and see how she struggles with this. And it's such an early story that to get to see her like this was really cool. Um, it was also interesting to see Wolverine. He was very much being very Wolverine-y. Um, this is very early Wolverine, yeah. Very early Wolverine. Everything's going to set him off. And uh, in this one, he's like, oh, I killed him or whatever. And, and Cyclops like, no, you didn't. It's like, you could have mentioned that this guy revives. <laughs> he's just like, I blasted him a bunch of times and it didn't work. It's like, you could have mentioned that part. <laughs> So we have this kind of idea of this demon race and it shows up every once in a while in the X-Men for the next 60 years, basically. It's a, it's, it's a frequent reoccurring foe, but it not often used uh, and rarely explored to much effect. Almost all of the Ungrise stories are the demons are trying to attack or a sorcerer is trying to channel them and then they get banished back until we get a little bit later in continuity when there's like hierarchies and other races and more context given. We'll get into Black Sun in a little while. Uh, that, cool. <laughs> um, Claremont also uses the Ungarai in Marvel Team Up 79, Giant Size Dracula number two. We're not going to cover those, but basically there's these things called Sour Pools, S-A apostrophe A-R, Sour Pools. Uh, there's gateways to the Ungarai dimension that are permanently closed. And there's people trying to sacrifice in order to get power from the Ungarai. So, uh, uh, and then in, in 1980, Claremont also wrote the Ungarai in Doctor Strange, uh, 41 through 45, which tells a story of a character called the Shadow Queen who worships these demons. She's trying to conquer her own dimension in their name. Uh, she has traded her soul to the Ungarai for power. Uh, and then, I don't know, basically, Doctor Strange killed her and Strange accesses a, a Sa'ar pool and sees one of the Ungarai and he calls it an elder god. He's Some of his allies are briefly possessed. So we kind of get this idea that the Ungarai have different things they can do. They can mm -hmm. power spells, they can channel magic, they can steal your soul and give you power. The, the Ungarai we normally see, however, are just the, the crazy demon guys that serve Kirok and want to slash through humans and, and eat their flesh, basically. Uh, but yeah. there's more to them than just that, it seems. We're getting layers to what they are. Yeah, it seems like they're, they're very flexible in their meanings and determinations just because like they can be what's necessary for the story. And you can do that because they're like mysterious, like the Cthulhu has a mysteriousness of like, you don't know what it's capable of, but you feel a dread to see it. But with the Ngarai, it's like, you don't know what they're capable of. You don't know what other kind of spanner will be thrown in the works and trying to defeat them. But in these ones, they are an, an immediate and like big threat. They, I mean, in the... In the issue we're going to talk about, uh, Uncanny X-Men 143, you get a really good look at them and it's like, they look like alien. They're so <laughs> scary. <Yeah. laughs> uh, we, uh, we have a lot of elder gods at Marvel. There's this age of Earth where you had characters like Chathon and Set and all these all these uh, gods that have been banished and they still have artifacts of power. You also get a lot of stories at, at Marvel with characters like Dormammu who rule other dimensions and they have mortal forms and they have powers and limitations, but it seems to be when they're in their own dimensions, 
sorcerers can channel their names and draw upon their power through sacrificing whatever. So the Ungar, I have a, a portion of that, but when you get down to it, Kirok's a guy that can be beat up. The demons can be beat up. They can be banished. They can be killed. So there's this interesting idea of them as both elder gods and as uh, possessing demonic forms that can be harmed and attacked. Like highly punchable elder gods. <laughs> I think every elder god is highly punchable. <laughs> but this one is like especially so. Even a 13-year-old can punch them. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about Uncanny X-Men 143. Kitty Pride oh, is yeah. new. To, she's new to the X-Men. She's 13 years old. It's 1980 and Chris Claremont and John Byrne give us one of my favorite X-Men stories of all time, if I'm honest. Back when I was first collecting comics, I remember reading this one and being like, that was amazing. I was like 15. It was so good. Tell us the story. What happens here? Oh, in this one, it's like really great. It almost feels like an episode of the cartoon series or something. It's kind of all contained in the mansion. It's like holiday season. Everyone's heading out for the evening. And at first I thought uh, everyone was leaving Angel to look after their newest member, Kitty Pride, who's like just 13 years old. But then as soon as everyone leaves, the very next family is like, oh, I've got a date with uh, Candy Southern. Bye. Hey, Candy Southern. <laughs> and Kitty's like, okay, I'm 13 and I've been left in this place alone. <laughs> but she's like the most responsible 13 year old. That's her whole shtick. So what does she do? She goes to the danger room suits up and and uses the very tame gymnastics routine to exercise and limber up and like the whole time that she's like making time for herself she's like considering her situation getting used to the x-men uh, trying to understand what the point of training was when she could just phase through any trouble that comes her way but um there are lots is, of stories where mutants lose their powers. You gotta, you yeah, gotta, yeah. You gotta keep it tight. <laughs> yeah, and, and so it's it's really interesting to explore because at this point you can kind of see how Chris Claremont's grown comfortable with his storytelling style. He has a very wordy style because he likes to in, like investigate the thoughts and feelings of the characters that he's playing with, but when he's the lettering for that book is so great because of course I'm going to talk about the lettering, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we read <laughs> because um how it works with the art is that it just it doesn't look too crowded if you're not thinking about it and you can just kind of see how it um paces itself and like butts up against the corners of the panels and stuff so you don't feel overly crowded by the text but you can still basically read a novel's worth of information about the character and what they're going through so she's kind of having not a bad day an evening alone in the mansion she's not creeped out or anything she's just like i'm just going to be responsible and exercise and train and, and then call it a day kind of thing of course that does not go that way because the uh the one of the engari just one of them you find out is just like a, a chosen minion of of um Kirok, how do you say his name Kirok? Kirok, yeah Kirok, yes um it appears from the restored cairn um, that had been destroyed before, goes off and starts killing people in the area, just like a couple who was out to, buy, to cut down a Christmas tree and stuff like that. And he and makes you and he makes them. you care about this couple first. They, like, yeah, yeah. They get some time and then they're <laughs> slaughtered. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's like, well, we'll just get this small tree because we have an apartment right now, but one day we'll have a house. No, they will never have a house. It's so sad. <laughs> yeah. I was like, damn, that's brutal. But uh, eventually it infiltrates the mansion through Storm's um, 
Storm's room, which is the greenhouse on the roof. And so all of her plants are dead. And when Kitty hears the noise and sees that, she's like, wow, something's happened here. And um, that's when she gets the encounter with the Angari. And so it, the rest of the issue is just like this big chase through the mansion. She's using her phasing ability to try to outwit it, but it's not just, you know, a weird, crazy, scary, demonic thing. It's very intelligent. So it knows how to hunt her down. It knows where to find her and it's after her. So she tries to get ahead of it. And uh, like, she, gets like she, phases, she phases through the wall and then it just hacks through the wall behind her. Yeah, like, yeah. He's like, no, I'll just keep going for you. Yeah, yeah. it's scary. <laughs> and it's like, these are reinforced walls and they just come through like paper. And, and uh, so when she gets to the danger room, she tries to like, set it up um so like i think she tries to set it up so that um all the safety locks are off but the safety locks stay on there's nothing she can do about it because it's a danger room but it's not that dangerous but she tries to up the danger level to see if maybe that'll trap him uh or it and um yeah uh, it figures out what what she's up to and attacks her within the control room knocks her out of the control room breaks a lot of stuff along the way rips up floors and things to get at her and she seems to know that doing that like broke the safety locks and it like it attacks or so he's put in danger while she's phasing through all the danger it's almost like berserker wolverine just like chasing her down across the yeah basically so, or the time so that danger tooth in the 90s got free in the mansion yeah 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 so it was very akin to that and um and so the next place she goes is the hangar and, and she had just been trained by Professor X to like know how to fly a freaking jet. So <laughs> why did no one teach me that when I was 13, huh? Well, no one was able to telepathically download the Japanese language into your brain either. <laughs> ah, that would have been nice. Uh, I always wanted Doug Ramsey's powers. <laughs> Anyways, I ended up, um, yeah. Getting to that part. Where was I? Sorry, you can cut that. Yeah, part. yeah. So she she gets she gets in the blackbird and she operates. Blackbird. Yeah. Yes, she gets to the blackbird and she's trying to operate it. She's trying to remember how to operate things that she just learned a few hours ago, and it's gaining on her. So she manages to use the floor of the uh, hangar bay to turn the plane to the direction where the jets are facing towards the creature, and then she turns the jets on and basically blasts them it causes another explosion destroys the blackbird and um she looks like she's about to still get attacked by the ingari through the fire and then we cut back to the x-men coming home that evening so it's like what a cliffhanger and they're like happy <laughs> like, hanukkah kitty <laughs> yeah they, they eventually do find her she's just chilling out in front of the fire like after having a shower and stuff and just she just looks completely relaxed and um and they're talking there's some more, more story stuff going on because like early in the story wolverine had come by but nightcrawler was teasing his date mariko and he got all pissed off and walked off and then of course they're going to have some more character conversations and the chill part but it's storm who comes down to kitty and she's like kitty um i went up to my room <laughs> and i saw what happened and kitty's like yeah, yeah i got attacked by a monster <laughs> 
She's like, there's holes in the walls. The jet's been destroyed, and the danger room's been destroyed. Yes, Uh, everything's destroyed, and and Storm's just like very diplomatic. She's like, I don't know whether to be upset or really proud of you, (laughs) or maybe both. But luckily, Xavier has billions of dollars. It's fun. This is my this is my favorite of the Unger Eye stories. It's so scary, so effective. It's very like Alien and Home Alone mixed together. Yeah, Uh, it's so good. The very, very ending is this series of panels where you do see what had happened was its claw did come through the fire at her, but it had dissolved. And it was just like a a shadow of ashes on the floor. And basically the captions over it was saying, it's like, this was her rite of passage as an X-Men and she passed. (laughs) In 96, we had the whole team nearly defeated by Kirok. Here we have one teenage member defeating one demon. And pretty soon, I mean, we get to stories where there's just like thousands of demons and (laughs) and it's just ever building. But this is a pretty serious threat. This is an ongoing. And I know this issue you just reviewed is like a super beloved one in the X-Men franchise. But Well, not by some. You didn't tell me about the letters page. Oh, I don't think I read the letters page. I probably. Oh, my God. No, go pick it up. Go look at it right now. Take a minute. It would take me. It's in another room. It would take me. What happens? Okay. If you have Marvel Unlimited or you happen to own this issue, go to the back page of um, it's the X mail and I would read it out to you verbatim, but I'd have to resign into the app. But anyways, there is a letter there by someone who says, like, you know, I'm a dedicated X-Men fan. I've collected all the issues I've ever I've started reading ever since issue 30 something. Da, da, da. I really love this series. And when the new X-Men were introduced, it was different. But, you know, I. I still thought it'd be cool, but then um, I, I, over the course of these two years, I've just been so disappointed. And then with when, with the Dark Phoenix stuff and Jean dying, I'm just like so done with this. And with when I heard Cyclops was going to leave, then I figured I'd read up to that point, but I'm not reading anymore after this. I am done because you guys aren't respecting the X-Men or whatever, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not gonna read any more issues. And it was quite a, you know, like basically you're taking a direction I don't like so I'm not gonna buy your book anymore and it's like dang and guess who um like someone took the trouble to write this to the people creating the series right Right. yeah yeah the end of like one of the most iconic issues of uncanny x-men happens to be this letter guess who wrote this letter who was it Kurt Busiak oh my god that's amazing (laughs) sure enough years later he he brings back Jean Grey, so I guess it works out in the end. <laughs> that is fascinating. I'm going to have to go back and read. I feel like they've probably gotten that letter every issue they've ever published. Like, oh, yeah, not no, doing no. what I love. But that's fascinating that it's Busey that wrote it. How? Yeah, how Chris was they? part of that, that era where like they were evolving the characters from the cut and dry superheroes into something completely different. And he was the impetus for the X-Men just transforming in their stories so i can imagine a lot of people being irate it's like i liked my superhero team what is this <laughs> oh yeah yeah you i mean every franchise ever from buffy the vampire slayer to harry potter you kill off a favorite character it makes people pissed off and invested and have big feelings and then people are like, i'm never reading again you get rid of Jean gray and replace it with this like dinky kitty pride and it's like what are you doing <laughs> I just thought that was fascinating. I was like, what the heck? Because I had to double check that name and I'm like, are you sure? And then I had to Google. It's like, maybe it's just another guy named Kurt Busiak. And I'm like, 
nope same guy <laughs> that's fascinating i uh i hope to meet her one day and i will ask him about this because that's <laughs> that's wonderful uh okay i'm gonna cover the next little section very quickly claremont brings the engaride back in a story called bizarre adventures 25 in 1981 it's super behind the scenes he also gives us them in another series called epic illustrated 10 and 11 which is set around 50 bc and there's an old engaride demon named I don't know how to say this, Yugaron, Y apostrophe G-A-R-O-N. It might be one of their masters, sort of like Kirok. He possesses, or he seeks the powers of this woman named Marita, the she-wolf, but she kills him. Like, I'm going to cover all that very quickly too. And then we get the first non-Claremont Engarize story in uh, Bill Mantlow's uh, Incredible Hulk 308, which is in 1985. The Hulk has been sending, sending all over the place by this race called the Puffball Collective. It's a classic Hulk run. Uh, this race has lost their planet to the Ungarai. They have consumed much of the Puffball Collective's race, and Hulk nearly opens a doorway into these other worlds, but he closes it down and he fights a bunch of the demons. So we get this idea that the Ungarai here, what, what really matters in this story is that they are on other planets. They are consuming other people. They are attacking other places. Like this is what would happen to Earth were that to uh, be allowed. If they aren't fought back, they will go on to consume. And then Chris Cooper gives us a story about them in 1993 in the Darkhold pages of the uh, pages from the Book of Sins, numbers three and four. Uh, the Ungarai, they're in a lot of different demonic forms here. They get summoned by a Darkhold page. The Darkhold is like that ancient book of magic that's super deadly and connected to the Elder Gods. Another one of their cairns is discovered. Ultimately, they battle Mordred. Sabretooth is here. It's uh, it's kind of a crazy story, but their portal gets closed again. And then he writes them again in Marvel Comics Prevent Presents number 145. Uh, the classic lesbian character, Victoria Montesi, is pregnant with the heir of the Elder God Chaton. And the Ungarai are sent to apprehend her, but she escapes with Doctor Strange. Uh, we learn that uh, in kind of in passing that Chiton himself created the Ungarai in their own dimension. Uh, in Marvel Preview 7 and Deadly Hands of Kung Fu number 22, we also get more details about them ruling the Earth at some point millions of years ago. They enslaved humanity before they were banished. We also get ideas that Kulin Goth, who's the classic Conan villain who's fought the X-Men several times, has spent time in their realm. He's also tried to open portals there and gotten stuck there. And the X-Men villain Belasco has ties there as well. There are two prose novels that feature the Ungarai. Uh, one's called X-Men Soul Killer. Another's called Five Decades of the X-Men, Up the Hill Backwards. I own both of those and I've read them, but they're not considered in continuity. So I'm not going to cover them here. But if anybody's a completist, they're both really pretty solid reads. Uh, the Five Decades of the X-Men one is an anthology book written by several authors. The other X-Men Soul Killer is a really good story that involves Dracula and Belasco. Uh, we'll get more into Belasco in a minute. <laughs> He's the instigator of Black Sun. Uh, so covering a lot of content there pretty quickly. Do you have any comments on any of that? It gives us more of their mythos, this idea that they'll consume worlds, that they're millions of years old, that they've been banished, but they're also created by Chiton. There's a, a, a lot of mysticism to their story. Yeah, they're definitely like building up on things. It's interesting to see Chris Cooper writing um, more stories since so much of these stories were just like um, Chris Claremont building up on these characters, but then Bill Mantello and Chris Cooper coming and be like, no, we'll play with these two. So that's kind of a compliment to have um, that being built out more, but that 
since there's such a vague state and they're in a state of mysticism and other worlds, like you can just do a lot of things with them and they can go in many directions. Yeah. And it almost the most interesting thing here is after that X-Men 143 story we covered, they don't really fight the X-Men again until 1995. They're, uh, they're basically out of the mythos for nearly 20 years, which is crazy because it was such a big story. You'd think people would almost want more. Uh, mm-hmm. Then we get them in Wolverine annual number 1995. This is an era where they weren't numbering the annuals. They were calling them by the year. Uh, did you take a look at this one by Larry Hama? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I thought the Larry Hama stories, there's two of them. I thought they were pretty solid, actually. And he was t- definitely telling a specific kind of story there using uh, Wolverine. Yeah, so um, he gives us, good. we get two Larry Hama stories. One in Wolverine annual 1995, one in X-Men Unlimited number nine. Uh, tell mm-hmm. me about the first one. Tell me about the Wolverine annual. The first one, I feel like if I'm, tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like this is after Age of Apocalypse. So mm-hmm. it's after Wolverine and, and Sabretooth had like a final confrontation at that time and it left Wolverine in a kind of berserker state where he just did not feel safe around everyone so he kind of took to hanging out in the woods around the mansion and getting into misadventures from time to time. Yes. So this is like one of those times where while he's in his state uh, his best fr- one of his best friends Nightcrawler comes uh, a like travels away from Excalibur and comes visit the mansion just to see if he could like help Logan out. But, uh, you know, everyone is just kind of like, well, he's out there and there's not really a lot we can do about it. And Nightcrawler's like, no, we we need to do something about this. And sure enough, um, Wolverine is out in the woods and he can sense that the Karn is back and he finds it has restored itself. He remembers it from the previous time and sure enough, there is a minion to fight. Uh, and um, well, it's well, actually it's actually Kirok this time. This is the second that, that appearance was, of Kirok. Okay, I thought Kirok was late. Like that was Kirok who came out of the Karn first. Oh, maybe not. Maybe it was a demon and then Kirok. I apologize. I think yeah. it was Kirok a little bit later than that. That's true. Is. Yes, but this is the yeah. second appearance of Kirok. It's the first yeah, time yeah. since X Men ninety six. Yeah, because Kirok becomes a major character. Like he goes from being like. Just a, a like a villain that you face back when Cyclops opened it up the first time, but in this one, it's a more involved story because both Wolverine and Nightcrawler following him go into the dimension where they yeah, they're in the ungarized dimension yeah. this time, which which raises they, they, the stakes obviously. Yeah, they just dive in there, and Nightcrawler follows out of worry, and yeah, and with that Wolverine being in a place where everything's his enemy and everything is a life he does not value he just sees them as demons anyhow he just goes completely off he just kills everything within his sight and uh which is kind of larry hama stating it's like this is the state of wolverine right now for real he is very feral for real he he needs to keep himself away from people because he's just in a bad state berserker wolverine is an actual thing yes he's very yes (laughs) he's trying to drive that home that he can't just you know be reasoned with as much as um nightcrawler tries to reason with them even nightcrawler's like yeah he's pretty far gone here um but even so um wolverine still knows his values and is willing to try to survive and get out of the dimension so that he and nightcrawler could make it out alive but it's kind of ends up in a in an interesting 
dilemma because it almost it almost looks like they're about to lose but i'm pretty sure this is the one where here, here you no know, this is the one where um Kirok almost looks like he's going to succeed and go into the next dimension except uh wolverine and nightcrawler are just so much of a hassle and they've killed off so many of his you know minions he's just like you know what forget this and he just like once they eat out of the dimension he closes the door behind him <laughs> This, uh, the, the dimension here is like this crazy, everything's like hazy, red, dark. You, mm -hmm. I mean, you get the idea. It's a complex world. These demons have to feed on something. They serve particular creatures. We're going to learn later. There's other races that live there, but it's mm -hmm. kind of your first, uh, first idea of them as it's, it's clearly not a civilized race, but they have a ruler. Kirok starts referring yeah. to like prophecies that he's going to take over the land again. Mm -hmm. He starts talking about how he drains power from earth. Uh, it's, yeah. it, it kind of expands on the mythos a little bit. And then that same year, Larry Hammond gives us another story in uh, X-Men Unlimited number nine, where Belasco has a goal. I, whenever I hear Belasco, I just think of Tabasco sauce, <laughs> which is such a stupid correlation. Whenever uh, I hear Belasco, I just hear a deep sigh in my mind. <laughs> oh, because this is the creepy guy that like kidnapped baby Ilyana and made her. Yeah, like, yeah. Like the magic series was one of my favorites that I've read through and it's like it's a very well done series but at the same time it's like damn you Belasco it's just Belasco, Belasco's a demon guy who has holdings in limbo he's obsessed with obtaining power he wants to conquer the earth for reasons we'll do a Belasco episode another time but in this like he's a jerk <laughs> X-Men Unlimited was a series that ran uh and it, you'd get these epic like long stories yeah. uh, by one creator. A lot of them are so good, especially- There's some really first. good ones. There's like, I think number seven was a storm one that had like an amazing cover and it was real character work done on her. Eight was one where this, it was basically an inter interesting analogy. Like it's been decades since I read it. So you can tell me if I'm wrong, but it was like an analogy for um, homophobia and alienation where he gets his powers, but is immediately targeted and bullied at school. Oh, that's the Chris Bradley story. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, character. yeah. So he ends up at the at the school and stuff to like as a to learn and grow as a person. I was like, and then he gets the legacy virus and joins the New Warriors, if I'm remembering right. Yeah, and then he gets the legacy virus, and I was like, damn. Damn. Yeah. Number so two that is that good. classic Missy as a story where uh, you've got that guy, the Adrian Iskalt, I think is his name, that's hunting down Magneto and like looking into his yeah, There's some great yeah, like, stuff. Yeah, that was that was definitely interesting. I think that's the one where I realized that Magneto could control people by the iron in their blood or something. And yeah, I'm like, yeah. why is anyone messing with this guy? He's <laughs> scary. Uh, so in number nine, we get Hama kind of exploring the Engarice story. There's another Cairn on Magneto's island. Uh, Belasco wants to conquer the demons and then use them to conquer Earth. And he tricks Bloodscream, who is like the Wolverine creepy vampire guy with like the silver ponytail. Yeah. <laughs> into gathering a group of zombie ships to come and fight the demons because it's the Bermuda Triangle. It's a mm -hmm. lot of stuff. Anyway, Wolverine, Psylocke, and Beast are there. Uh, they use Psylocke's blood to open up the cairn and the Ungarai pass through. And Belasco fights Kirok and like nearly wins, but the, the Cairn gets shattered and Belasco's like lost in the Ungarai dimension. That's kind of the take I got on the story. It's a good read, but there's a lot of crazy like giant action stuff. It's, it, but it, it's solid. I like this story. 
it, it was it was solid like the Larry Hammond stories are very solid this one I was when I first started like glancing through the pages it's like okay I'm gonna read through this I was like a bit put off because it was just so 90s but like <laughs> when I actually read the story it's like actually this is this is pretty interesting the one thing that gets to me though is blood scream because my impression of blood scream is from uh, really cool, scary-looking trading cards from the '90s. Yeah, I remember this card. And this one issue of uh, Wolverine, which is like almost a semi-silent issue, where Wolverine's up in Canada in the snow, and basically Bloodscream, like I think it was Bloodscream, like confronts him, and Wolverine has a sword, and they battle, and there's like this big two-page spread, and I was like, damn, that was. That was grim. That was kind of dark. And then you see Bloodscream here in this issue, and he's like dressed up as a pirate and like being weird. And it's just like, who is this? He's like an Adam X if he became a vampire. <laughs> like, who is this dude? Bloodscream is like hundreds of years old. He's an obscure Wolverine vampire guy. He teams up with this guy named Roughhouse, who's this giant, massive dude. If my podcast is around long enough, we'll eventually get to do scary <laughs> yeah. characters, but we're still like, stuck in the 60s. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting to see Bloodscream because he's just such an oddball. And to see him played by Belasco so easily, it was the interesting thing was like, Velasco was um, tricking him by making Bloodscream thinking he was doing the right thing, that he was saving the world. Bloodscream, I think, has appeared about the same number of times as the Ungari, but I, uh, I don't. I, if I listed a hundred X Men villains, Bloodscream would not be on my list. The Ungari probably would be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So things are been... interesting. It's like he's tricking him by making him think he's doing the right thing. Of course, Bloodscream's going about it the wrong way he's like kidnapping a bunch of innocent sailors and turning them into zombie pi pilots or whatever uh, right. pirates or whatever and it's weird but like he thinks he's saving the world instead he's helping Belasco and when he finds out that Belasco lied to him he like attacks Belasco and it's like oh that's interesting yeah it, and, and there's a lot of you mix a lot of x-men villains in with this it's a it's a fun story Things, yeah. up, things up until now with the Ngarai have been relatively simple, despite the fact that it sounds really complicated. There's a lot of things, but the next <laughs> the next three or four stories make them so much more complicated. In yeah. X-Men Volume 2, number 75, in 1998, this is Joe Kelly's run. He gives us a whole different uh, understanding of the Ngarai completely. Do you want to cover the Rutai? Or yeah, <laughs> yeah go I ahead. actually love the okay. This okay. is a great. It's a great story. Like I mentioned earlier, how it was a lot harder for me to get X Men comics on base while I was over in Japan. Well, I do remember I was able to pick up X Men number seventy five. I didn't get to pick up a lot of the issues around it at the time, but um, so it was kind of like contained within itself. But I do remember this issue really well because like Cecilia Ray is is getting used to being a part of the X Men. Yeah. Um, um, like, uh, was it Mag? No, this was, was this, this the, is the Marrow and Maggot era. Maggot had like, just joined. Operation Zero Tolerance has just ended. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a great and, era of comics. Yeah, and Marrow is like kind of like not even sure if she wants to join the X-Men or not. And so like there's all this back and forth, but at the end of the issue, it's basically you realize that this is the issue where they learn how to operate as a team. Like they're 
a different team, but they're they're a team, and it's kind of cool, especially with Marrow being like, yeah, this is who we are. We're X-Men, and it's like, okay. So well, that I, was cool. I love when writers take the old stuff and build on it. So for him yeah. to take the Ungarai and build on them in this way, this I hadn't read this in years. I loved rereading this. Yeah. It's great. Especially because like it turns out not to be an Ungarai issue. It turns out to be a Rutai issue. So Rutai is, is spelled R-U apostrophe T-A-I for everybody listening. Uh, yeah. Tell us about the Rutai, Ariana. The Rutai, when they first appear, like they didn't, don't appear like this that much in um, future issues, but this particular issue, they look so freaking awesome. They're great. It's, yeah, it's gorgeous. So they're like, they kind of look like dog monster creatures, kind of like, I don't know, like they're, they're Muppets from the Dark Mirrors or, or Dark Crystal, <laughs> Dark Crystal. And it's just like they have like this long hair and these these um, long snouts, and then they wear this really elaborate jewelry draped over themselves. They almost remind me of like a mix between like a komodo dragon and a horse, but they're covered in yeah. like sigils and tattoos. I love the design. Yeah, it's yeah, they just so wicked and cool, and so different from the aliens like aliens look of the Angari, which the the Angari end up looking too similar to the brood in that matter. So it, it's kind of like they kind of blur together. But with the root tie, it's like, no, they're decked out in jewelry. They're they're in these amazing outfits and, and well, not outfits, but like decorations. And they just look so different that a beast originally assumes that they're evolutions yeah. of yeah. Angari. And when Celia Reyes after they've been kidnapped, like it's a pretty straightforward story where um, Maggot thinks that his Eni and Meanie have killed someone or hurt someone, and and he freaks out and he wants to put turn himself into the cops. And they're like, no, 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 it's all a misunderstanding. You weren't the one that did this. It wasn't Eni and Meanie, and it turns out to be the Rutai. And, and they um, have this they have this leader named Pilgrim with two M's who yes. passes through the Cairn. And he tells the X-Men that his race has been enslaved by the Ungari. I think that was an interesting moment. Yeah, the the Ungari have apparently built their civilization on the backs of the Rutai. So they kept them alive, which makes you think this is how the Ungari are eating and thriving because they're these beings enslaved, which is fascinating. But what's fascinating is like with the Ingari in previous iterations or a lot of the previous iterations, you don't see them talk very much. You see Karak talk, but not the Ingari. They're pretty much just seen as like minions or creepy attack creatures. But, and you think the same thing about the Rutai up until the point where Celia Reyes is trying to, she's been strapped down and they're trying to get through her force field to dissect her. And it seems weird that they have all this technology now because they're like mystic creatures. But she's like, like she calls them the Engrai and they get pissed at her as she puts it, calling them the N-word. Because, yeah, yeah. Because it's like, you called it the Engrai. We are not Engrai. Engrai are, are the people who enslaved us. And so, it's like, I don't understand why they're angry, but this is all of a sudden they're like, elo- they're like speaking and they're talking and they have like, almost a scientific knowledge of things, they are very knowledgeable and they can have full conversations. And Pilgrim is like the main 
guy who's like their avatar. And Pilgrim we see is like from a very different culture. He he says that he has like overthrown Kirok. So he's now like they his his race has been unenslaved. They've developed like declared their freedom. And he says he's been granted an individual will. So you get the idea that the Rutai have like a collective mind of some kind. Mm -hmm. He has come to Earth with these creatures called the mongrels, which are like demon dogs. Which is and, an interesting name to give them, yeah. But yes. yeah, they're like dog horses. And then he, he is like experimenting on humans and slaughtering them to try to see what makes humans tick. And he like he seems genuinely surprised that they're like the X-Men are upset that he's killed people. <laughs> uh he's he's an interesting character. It's it's kind of a dense read this issue, but there's a lot of culture that's thrown in and there's a lot of thought that's been given to who these people are. Particularly towards the pivotal point in the story when Wolverine pops in because he's been trying to save everyone and um and the pilgrim sees him he just completely gets on his knees and praises him because to the uh rutai they saw him as a savior because back in the day when he massacred all of the ingrai that gave the rutai enough opportunity to go in and overthrow them and take control. He like inspired their race to rise up. But they call him yeah. the Maiketh, M-A-I apostrophe K-E-T-H, which mm-hmm. is like the, I don't know, some sort of savior in their world. Yeah. Pilgrim's also wielding the eye of Kirok as a like an artifact. He's like shooting blasts out of it. And he has like these magical bonds he ties the X-Men up in. Uh, yeah. it's, it's a This is a great story. How does it wrap up? What, what happens to Pilgrim? Uh, Sula is but saves the day. She like literally falls on the eye of Kirok and d- destroys it with her butt. <laughs> <laughs> One of the few times she gets to save the day ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was interesting because Meryl comes out of nowhere to save the day as well. She attacks and saves. Um, Maggot does his best as well. Uh, they actually, they hear someone say to do the fastball special, like Wolverine is asking for it and they, they don't do it, but maggot and 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 marrow hear that and it's like do you know what that is and it's like no freaking idea but they basically just do the fastball special and he tosses her into the fray and it was it got to be a really fun fight at the end the other cool thing here is pilgrim has opened like a bunch of cairns around the planet so you have this idea that from the other side this character for some reason has the ability to open more cairns which just seems it seems like something that's something Kirok could never do but but pilgrim can yeah, uh, and in the end like an expansion of the power because the rutai may have more knowledge and ability because they say that the ingari are stronger but they don't say that they're smarter right this this race is more cultured clearly uh and in the end all of the cairns explode and the mongrels die and then uh like one of them is captured by this underground like government agency called black sun we'll get into them next mm-hmm. and pilgrim takes on a human form he uh he disguises himself as a guy named like uh, uh colonel wei uh who's like a military man in china and he stays on the earth, uh, so it kind of it, it leads into another story. And then Chris Claremont comes back in the year 2000. Claremont, after he left the books, or might we say was kicked off the books in the early 90s, has come back multiple times to write more X-Men books over the years. He does a five-issue right limited now, yeah. yeah, he's doing it now with, uh, with uh, the Extreme X-Men and Gambit. Uh, but in 2000, he tells us a five-part story called Black Sun, X-Men Black Sun. 
this I love Claremont. This is not my favorite Claremont read. The <laughs> letters are hard. The pages are dense. The art is inconsistent. I do not love this series. What are your thoughts on Black Sun? Uh, difficult read. One, um, even though you do mention Black Sun, the organization, it has almost nothing to do with this series. Literally nothing. <laughs> Literally zero to do with the series. Maybe a panel and that's it. Um, the story itself is both simple and overly complicated. I um, they they have a lot of selling points because you're like, oh my gosh, this is the return of magic. Well, spoilers, no, that's <laughs> <laughs> a fake out, which I think is is not cool. Um, magic, ma the magic that appears in this series turns out to be Amanda Sefton in disguise. Yeah, and I feel like that's very disingenuous because it's like, oh, I need to pretend to be magic so Velasco thinks he knows my real name and try to use that magic against me. Well, she didn't have to tell everyone that she was magic because here is her closest friends and family members assuming this is Ileana back from the dead, and it's not. Every time we say Black Sun, I get that old song, Black Old Sun. Yeah, which is another thing. That was actually scarier than this. So let me let me cover this one quickly and then let's talk yeah. about it if that's okay because it's really it's a yeah. really dense read reading this five issue limited series I can read a comic pretty quickly even when I'm paying deep attention and taking notes and reading this five issue series took me over two hours like it's, yeah. it's dense um so okay Belasco worshipped is worshiping the under eye and he agrees to help them try and conquer his realm limbo which is famous for where magic lives and like rules the demons right uh, but they have to give him a new arm first. So Belasco tricks Kitty Pride into thinking that the Ungarai have already conquered Earth. So she like wakes up and sees this giant mountain of skulls outside her window. And then she's tricked into casting a spell that Belasco can't, that allows the Ungarai to possess some of the X-Men. And this is where we get Sunfire, Colossus, Nightcrawler, Storm, and Banshee. And then they are sent to acquire other souls that the Ungarai need in order to try to conquer Earth and Limbo. So the Ungarai attack, they focus on Magic, who is really Amanda Sefton posing. She's now the sorceress of Limbo at this point. And then Pilgrim shows up and he gives up his human form, which lasted for about five seconds for this character. He starts killing more humans. He joins the fight against the Ungarai and Cairns open up all over the world. And then they gather a bunch of soul stones. At, so like, the souls that are possessed, they can pull like, I, I, it's like the magic thing, right? In Limbo, you can pull her energy out and then it's made into these soul stones, which then power the soul sword. That's also happened to Pixie with her soul dagger. There's these soul stones and the Ungarai evolve and then start to invade the earth, but the X-Men blow up Belasco's castle and they're defeated. That's like an overly simplified version of a really dense long story. <laughs> <laughs> let, me leaves, hear your, let me hear your thoughts on Black Sun. <laughs> there's so many. I, I read the whole thing. And um, part of it being a dense read is, I'm going to admit the lettering. Um, like this was 90s and early aughts lettering was definitely an era where um, they were trying to transition from hand lettering to digital lettering, where digital lettering is a heck of a lot faster and it's more efficient. But in early times, it was tricky to work with the technology and you could see um, the limitations and also kind of the over rendering that was sometimes used then. Like they definitely let her in a style I never let her because mine is much more 
letter in a way that it doesn't take precedence over the art and uh, you know you do sound effects make sure that they contrast against the art or are natural to the art if you want it as a quieter sound effect like make it pop but like not I don't really do drop shadows or um, uh, like big uh, heavily rendered effects because I want them to look more natural to the artwork on the page. There are this so many letters per page in these issues, and it's yeah. not done so well. So when you're working with a Chris Claremont book, it's like you're you've got these massive scripts, and if you're trying to fit it on the page, and the technology isn't there yet to really smoothly, but the balloons up against the panels, you know how balloons sit on the panels and get cut yeah. off that's budding a balloon um sometimes they sit okay sometimes they don't sometimes i saw uh things were misaligned and it's tiny things like that that makes me stop reading and just stare at it because no one sees it but me <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh that's misaligned oh no there was a mistake there oh dear did they have to render it like that i was i was looking at it like if you were if you made pizza for a chef they're like, I know I'm eating pizza, but I'm going to be too critical about it to enjoy it. You didn't do this right. There's too much salt. <laughs> There's too much salt. The point where I got to the uh, X-Men Legacy issue that was lettered by Corey uh, Petit is like, oh, thank God, some food. <laughs> That's so much better. I can see what Claremont was trying to do with this five-issue limited. It's a Claremont yeah, I, story. Yeah. It's big. There's a lot of characters weaving in and out. But I think, I think one of the barriers is the lettering. I think that's yeah. almost the primary reason it's hard to read. Yeah, admittedly, he was coming from a background where in the 70s and 80s, he was working with letters like Tom Marschowski and, and their hand lettering made his long screeds look beautiful on the page. Or at the very least, natural to the page that you're not stopping and being like, ah, oh, it's too much. Instead, you'll open a page and be like, ah, oh, I'm getting my money's worth you know and uh it doesn't translate as well when um they're using digital fonts and the fonts are just like a size too big that they're taking up more art than it should and everything just looks the balloons look too tight around the text there was like so many little details that I had to fight with myself be like no stop focus and then it came to the story itself and I was <laughs> not a fan because it left me with so many questions like he presents Kitty as like super, super competent. She like fights with one of Wolverine's old bone blades or something. She's like, like super skilled and stuff. And then she takes a nap, wakes up and she thinks it's the end of the world because there's like this amount of bones out in front and everything, everyone looks like they're dead. There's like a dead Captain America in the in the <laughs> foreground and stuff. And you're like, what the heck? All the X-Men say, oh, we have to do a ceremony to stop Belasco. And so they basically do a satanic ceremony and that tricks her into like giving up her soul to Belasco. So well, and, she's, he, and she's thinking multiple times, like, this is probably a trick, but he keeps- This is probably keeps, a bad idea, but I trust everyone. It. So yeah, she, yeah, yeah. So she does it and that allows him to transfer the anger eye into the X-Men and possess them. But I'm like, how was he, wait, when did he do this? Because for the X-Men to convince Kitty to- do the ceremony wouldn't they already be possessed it's almost not laid out but the thing that bothers me most here is Belasco was once trying to conquer the Ingeri and now he seems to be 
teaming with them slash worshiping them yeah you almost feel like he could have possessed anyone on earth but he wants to fuck with the x-men he wants to like make them pissed uh like that that's that's the part like the x-men are almost ancillary to this story yeah (laughs) he's like i need five souls to make these bloodstones and it's like well you have five souls you have the new x-men which in the book is called the new x-men and the original x-men and i'm like do they call themselves this and then they bring pilgrim back but not for really any reason except just to tie him in which i i'm glad that they brought that piece back and resolved it i suppose but it seemed cool one-liners he he had some of the best dialogue uh he had some of the better character work but he was also he didn't do anything Yeah, and the soul stones are always. I Belasco needs soul stones for his magic. That's part yeah. of the inherent uh, like piece of limbo. But yeah. this this story, it's fine. It's fine as a story summed up quickly. But it's so, it's, yeah. it's an awful read. It's really not good. I, I try to I try to be pretty supportive, but yeah, when something's ineffective, I think it's okay to say so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just I think it was it was trying to hit certain points, which out of the context of the time just doesn't hit anymore because by the time I got to the end of the book I realized this is him re- uh, touching again on the anger eye um doing a showcase of the original X-Men and the new X-Men by having them fight each other and which is interesting and then set up Amanda Sefton as the new magic of Limbo because she was about to have a, her own magic series and so it's like okay so this is all a prelude for her series but um, if you're reading this series in a vacuum like we are, it's just like, what the heck? <laughs> yeah, and imagine Amanda Sefton was the new magic for like a short period of time. And then they brought back the Dark Child. Niliana's been back. But now Madeline Pryor is ruling Limbo. So honestly, Madeline Pryor and Ileana are fantastic rulers of Limbo, like for what they are. Uh, I wasn't excited about Amanda Sefton because she's like all decked out on white and gold. She looks like a, a fairy princess ruling, and it's just like you're not limbo material. Limbo ha- is goth. All the I'll way. get to limbo on my podcast eventually too. We're uh, we're coming up on I'm I'm wrapping up the '60s run shortly, and I get to start building into new things a little. But oh, I've still exciting. I've still got a good solid year of content before we even get to giant size. <laughs> like it's uh, it's a lot of stuff. Uh, is, are we okay moving on from Black Sun? let's do it <laughs> let's let it be there and never read it again <laughs> yeah let's let it go we we got through it <laughs> uh, i'll i'll occasionally flip through when i need to reference a character but yeah that's not a story i ever want to read densely again so thank you for doing that with me today so i don't ever <laughs> um next time we see the ender eyes in free comic book day and uh, it's a X-Men Pixies and Demons number one is what it ends up being called. Mike Carey gives us a story. The Engarai apparently have names. There's two of them called Butterak and Umdral, B apostrophe T and M apostrophe D in their names. Uh, they attack a small town in the UK where they are invisible to human detection somehow because, you know, magic demons. And they're killing humans in an attempt to restore Kirok the Dam to his former glory. So we we get the previous reference that that Kirok can draw power from the human portals. Or I, so it sounds like if they're killing people, their blood will power him somehow. Basically, what is the continuity that like the Ingrai are out of power now because the Rutai took over. Right. But, you know, they're trying to restore Kirok. And maybe there's I don't know, maybe there's something going on. Pilgrim never went home. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? 
Uh, basically what happens at the end of this, it's a short story. Pixie uses her soul dagger, which we just referenced. It's the soul stones powering her dagger, much in the way that magic's soul stones power her sword. Uh, and they kill, she kills the two Ungarai, and then the X-Men destroy Kirok again by smashing a building on top of him. It's so, so much fun to do. It's like a group activity. <laughs> <laughs> a little group therapy. And then we get yeah. briefly in 2010 in a series called Invaders Now! Exclamation point. Uh, number one by Kir uh, Christos Gage. And it's very short, but uh, Union Jack and Spitfire fight the Ungarai in England. So they're back. Uh, and then they, uh, the Ingrai are among the demons who invade briefly in Fear Itself, the Fearless. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to cover all those. They're not X-Men stories and they're not super prominent. The last time we see them is in 2012, which has been 10 years already since then. Mm -hmm. In uh, X-Men Legacy 260.1, because they've done this weird thing where they'll give us an occasional like 0.1 or uh, like some, like there's like, series that'll be like dot inh like number 20 yeah. dot inh for inhuman or like th there's weird things anyway this is yeah, yeah when i first started out at marvel um the first six months or so i was getting used to books and uh uh joe Carmas, uh, he he was doing the main spider-man series and then there was an offshoot series that was running parallel to it it was basically a mini series with all the rest of the characters while the sure. main series which was peter and it was called like dot lh or something like that yeah or, yeah and uh, i these, was like this is confusing these <laughs> point one issues they were trying to give it as like a new starting point for new readers to jump on but i don't know as a new reader i'd much rather pick up a number one or even number 260 if i start seeing decimal points in my titles yeah. i get a little confused i think i think for me it would have been better if they were like start of such and such story arc sure they'd be like okay I'll, I'll part one of blah, blah blah i'll check this out if they separate it out into story arcs i'll be like okay i'll check out the story arc from here but so this is, point one, you expect a lot of things to be explained. This is in the post-schism era of X-Men where half the students are at the Jean Grey School for Higher Learning. Uh, this is running concurrently to Wolverine and the X-Men, the Jason Aaron title. And this is mostly a rogue book uh, when you get into X-Men Legacy. It's a fun run. I like Mike Carey's writing. Tell us about this story. The final appearance uh, or the most recent appearance of the Ungarai. Yeah, it's as a rogue issue it definitely works in some ways because like this is just after she's gained a lot of control over her powers she's wearing that really awesome outfit that was a callback to her original green outfit yeah yeah i love this she, costume she just, she just looked cool and empowered and and that was neat she was basically instructing the students and it was just a basically an issue where she's instructing students something attacks the mansion so she tells the students to just stay in class and then she takes care of the threat and that's it also i guess gambit cheats on her that was weird uh definitely not a, with a issue with kind of explanation frenzy was it with frenzy was that frenzy i, I can't remember, <laughs> I don't remember. was that was that actually mystique in disguise i know there was a time where that happened and that i remember him making out with frenzy in this era oh that's yeah, that's odd. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, so that was a whole thing. But in its essence, it's just the anger I got free. They fought it and beat them back. And she stomped on their Karen. And that was it. But the interesting thing for me is, is at this point, the anger are no longer in power in that dimension. It's at least so far as we know. As far as we know. And I'm kind of sad because like, 
I know we've spent this whole episode talking about the Ingrai, and I know that we've read tons of issues with them, but I'm kind of left after that Joe Kelly issue being like, okay, but what about the Rutai? <laughs> what about it's specifically those Rutai with the cool jewelry? Like, those are genuinely interesting to see this rich culture having been captured by this brutal, like, demonic um, entity and then free again, and now they're the ones in power. That that whole stuff with Pilgrim and the Rutai, well, that was interesting, and I'd like to see that explored more. With the Angari, this issue in particular, it wasn't a bad issue for the Angari, especially in comparison to Black Sun. It really was not a bad <laughs> issue. Um, and it was really cool to see Rogue uh, showcase her powers because she's just like, you know, zipping around on Iceman's powers or or getting rock slide powers to turn giant in, into giant rock and stuff basically mastering any power she could get her hands yeah, on this is an era and, of like rogue as a fully recognized like superhuman yeah. who is like, like in fully, complete control of her abilities it's great exactly and so that was a cool issue in that sense but the anger i are just like we need some villains. Here's some villains. New students, yeah, we always just bring out some Ingrai, run them through their paces, you know? And I feel like there's more you could do with the Ingrai that we haven't explored yet. So the, the Ingrai have kind of become like, there's a there's a big bucket of like ancillary X-Men villains that can be used anytime. And you yeah. reach into the bucket and you need a villain that's a one-off for a particular issue and you pull them out and then attack, right? Like here's the fight. Yeah. Uh, well, Pilgrim and the Rutai have a little bit of nuance in them. Uh, with the Angari, it's always just like, they're going to bite your head off, so do something about it. <laughs> in that sense, they're even a little um, less understood than the Brood. Like True, true. The Brood are yeah. used more frequently. I love the Brood. The, yeah. the idea of writers uh, taking the mythos of this and expanding on it. When Larry Hamag lets Wolverine go through the Cairn into their dimension. That was cool. Or when Joe, Kelly, yeah. when Joe Kelly gives us like the enslaved race rising up. I think those stories are the most interesting, but easily my favorite is, is the Kitty Pride and Grey story. That's, that's the sure. best of all of these. I also see uh, like a lot of potential for these characters in any sort of like Doctor Strange or magic books. Yeah, uh, their sure. connections to Limbo and to magic and to Chiton and the Elder Gods. There's a lot of and Belasco. There's a lot of characters that could be uh, uh, inherently tied to these demons if someone wanted to use them or explore them more. Mm -hmm. But it's been another decade since we've seen them, which is fascinating. Yeah. yeah, it has been a whole decade, hasn't it? I think if if they do bring back the Ingrai, which I hope they do one day, then I hope they draw from like if anyone wants to go back and check out these characters and you don't want to read everything we discussed today i would still recommend x-men 96 uncanny x-men 143 um the two larry hama stories which is wolverine annual 95 and x-men unlimited 9 right and the joe kelly story of the x-men 75 and you're good like felt like yeah you're good with that those are those are these you get five like solid stories Kirok is still out there. Pilgrim is still out there. There's a lot that can easily be picked up. Uh, Krakoa is always look, looking for monsters to fight. So we can see these guys back anytime. Uh, do you like these characters more or less now that you have a complex understanding of them? Um, I like them more as interesting characters. They haven't 
Like I assume they were pretty mindless evil entities and for the most part that's how they're utilized but seeing the few stories that were featured on them and really led to character growth were like more than worthwhile it was super fun yeah and even then their their character growth as a race kirok has an independent will the others are all just mindless right but mm-hmm. the the complexity of them mixed with the rutai uh and their obsession with conquering Earth. It's its a really interesting idea. They're very one-minded creatures, much like the brood. The brood yeah. is like kill, mate, like conquer, and that's it. And, yeah. and there, there's an interesting need. I want to see a brood versus Ingerai story. I would I, love to see brood versus Ingerai and then have the Rutai come in at the last minute. That'd be interesting. I would like to see no more Belasco dealing with them. <laughs> tired of him. <laughs> Eventually, I will do a in-depth research on Belasco. Often when I do these research projects, I want to leave them and write a story about these characters. But I'm also kind of cool with the Ingerai just staying the hell out of my continuity, too, if I'm honest. Yeah. <laughs> I want them to be built up into some interesting new continuity that we can work with. Um, otherwise, it's like I'm kind of good without. <laughs> uh, Ariana Mar, I think you are a phenomenal human being. I love sitting down and nerding out with you. Uh, recognizing we're going to drop this on the Patreon on October 24th. Uh, is there anything you'd like to plug? Anything that's coming up for you? I know you've got a lot going on both personally and professionally at any given moment. Uh, I am currently working on Demon Wars, which is the Peach Momoko, Zach Davison, edited by Lindsay Koek. We're a tiny team in a big company, but it feels very intimate and um, personal to get to work on that series. It's really beautiful. Love that. Your work on that is so gorgeous. Your letters are just, it's beautiful, really, truly. Yeah. I'm also working on... Um, the detective comics that's been a dream come true it's a it's the right now ram v is doing a major storyline and that's been pretty exciting mm. um and uh critical role i'm also lettering a lot of critical role for those who really love um that whole franchise those comics are looking amazing so um all of those are worth checking out but also if you just want to see what my lettering is like some of my favorite work in recent years has been the hellions series mm-hmm. loved my work on hellions because that was so much fun i have good memories of it because for some reason our team worked like a well-oiled machine we just we got books out early because we were just so good at it <laughs> so good easily my favorite in the Krakoan era that series has been my favorite yeah I got, I got very very invested on gray crow and in canon and it was just amazing <laughs> Manny and Orphan um, Maker are my dream team though <laughs> oh my god oh those two Agents of Chaos all the way through but yeah so you know you'll see my work out there a lot of the time and um I'm loving my work so I hope I can do more for you guys but before I... oh go ahead for you like you can you can cut this in anywhere you want if you want to use it but I'm gonna <laughs> read out the letter to you yeah yeah let me hear it yeah. okay so this is an X-Mail, an uncanny X-Men 143, right after the Kitty Pride adventure. And it says, to the editor, I have a complete collection of X-Men. My first issue was number 37. Since then, I've had been an avid fan of the book through the old and new teams, but number 138 is my last issue. I quit. The change from old X-Men to new X-Men was fairly simple to adjust to because the book was still excellently scripted and drawn. But for the past two years, since number 
13, I've watched the book degenerate, watched the X-Men become a perversion of what they once were, watched you twist and mangle characters you virtually created. I first decided to stop buying during the Hellfire Club storyline, but held on for sentimental reasons and a vague hope that things would get better. During the Dark Phoenix story, I again decided to quit, but upon hearing the conclusion would be decided to, what the conclusion would be, I decided to stick around till Cyclops left. And now I can no longer justify buying the X-Men, not even to keep my collection complete. Each issue hurts too much. I love the X-Men, and if you treated them as they deserve, I would still be a faithful supporter. But until matters change, you've lost yourself a reader. Signed, Kurt Busiek. Fascinating. He would have been about 20. I just looked it up. <laughs> I think we've all had those times where we have like beloved stories then we're so connected. Mm -hmm. And then something, I grieved when Hellions was canceled. I grieved, oh, yeah. I grieved when, uh, when Unbeatable Squirrel Girl was canceled. I yeah. grieved when Christopher Priest's Black Panther was canceled. Chris Samney's Thor, The Mighty Avenger. That yes. My heart. I grieved um, when Kurt Busiek left Thunderbolts. Yeah, I, I it was the Chuck Austin run of X-Men that made me quit X-Men for a good couple of years. <laughs> I just interviewed Chuck Austin. It's coming Sorry. up on my podcast. No, it was actually lovely. He It was <laughs> fascinating. He's a wonderful person. But we talk about why his run was so controversial and how people reacted to it. That man received death threats. Like, it's 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 oh an intense gosh. era. It's crazy. Well, like, see, the thing is, is, like, I didn't like it, and I quit reading from there, but I never wrote a letter for that. Because <laughs> I was just like, yeah, I, I saw the bit with, like, Angel and Hus. And me being a gen generation X kid who grew up on those books, I'm like, what the heck? So I just, I just stopped. I'm going to release my interview with Chuck a few days after I release our episode. Make sure you give it a listen because I think you'll find it fascinating. I asked all of the hard questions, including the Angel Husk one. Good. <laughs> yeah, that's a question that needs to be asked. <laughs> it's fascinating. Uh, I, I recently... feelings on this, but it's like, yeah, he, he, at least unlike so many others, he got to go in as a writer and change things. I recently uh, have been scripting again, which is something I haven't done in years. And I finished an original graphic novel script recently. And as I was writing caption boxes and letters, you crossed my mind about 3000 times. I'm like, <laughs> the letter placement here, like, are there too many words or too few words? How would Ariana do this? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of it comes down to seeing the art and adjusting. Um, yes. If there's a big enough panel, don't worry too much. But if you're doing like, say you get to three sentences in one word balloon, you might be go flying too close to the sun. Sure. And if I'm given that script, I might break it up. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm excited to see what the art looks like coming in. But uh, you you cross my mind often. I um I think you're wonderful. I'm so grateful for your time today, my friend. Thank you for chilling with me. This was it a was blast. So it was some challenging homework, but I'm glad we did it. <laughs> <laughs> I try to do the research for you, but that doesn't mean those issues are any easier to read. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you're going to be back next time on the Patreon with uh, with Marcus Annaso, the writer of By the Horns. Uh, we're going to be researching or, or delving into the character Obnoxio the Clown, who is maybe oh. the most obscure X-Men related villain of all time. Oh my God. Uh, 
<laughs> as well as we'll cover the the one appearance of ice cream the eye space s-c-r-e-a-m maybe the most obscure mutant ever uh ariana thank you for your time and talents today it's so good to see you uh great to be here yeah all right I see you back here next time on uh patreon everybody thank you for tuning in thank you